Well, good morning, CP. How you doing? Man, it's good to see you guys. I want you to turn to the person on your left and on your right, and I want you to say, this too shall pass. You know why, why you're laughing, right? Because it is spring break somewhere, but it is not spring break here. So I'm three winters deep into this thing here in the north and trying to figure it out, and now I finally get it. When comes spring break week happens, everyone heads to Florida or Arizona or Alabama or something. Because it's cold, y'all. That <laughs> ain't right outside. It is supposed to be warm, and I should be wearing some sandals, right? Man, but anyway, we're so glad you guys are here and uh, just part of what God's doing here. Man, we are in a series called Even If, and you heard it repeated uh, by some of our very own uh, family here at Chapel Point, uh, walking through their even ifs. And then if you haven't, man, today I encourage you to, to stand and read the even if wall uh, that, that we set up as a way to really unite us around this idea that even if fill-in-the-blank situation happens, we will remain faithful to who God is because He is always faithful to us. And so we have this opportunity to respond as transformed followers of Jesus to be faithful, to say even if. And this, I, I truly believe in the couple years that I've been here as a church, uh, man, God's done incredible work as we uh, gather around his word, as we gather together as his people, and, and we trust and we respond as the Holy Spirit leads us. This really has been kind of a game changer series for us as we truly stand in some even ifs. And, and as we, as a staff uh, last week or the week before that, we, we just stood there and we prayed for so many of you who were brave and you were bold enough to write out your even if on the wall. Even if... I lose a loved one. So many students wrote, even if I lose friends because I choose to call on the name of Jesus and stand for things of God and not for things of this world. People who say, even if my job security is uh, shaky at best, even if I know I'm going to lose a loved one, even if uh, the circumstances, and you guys were bold and you wrote those out, and and they encourage us. They unite us around this idea that God is faithful. And we together can stand as one, as brothers and sisters, and say, even if, we will remain faithful. And so thank you guys for jumping in. I want to invite you to grab your Bibles. I want you to go to the book of Daniel, chapter 5. And really, this sermon is, is a continuation of last week's sermon from Pastor Joel. And if you weren't here, if you missed it, um, and head to, chapel, head to chapel-point.org, uh, find the sermons there, or find a podcast and listen to it. Because really, uh, last week's was kind of like this right hook, and then you get chapter 5, here comes with the left hook. And we're talking a lot about pride and humility, and what does that look like? And Pastor Joel helped us see last week that there is this process uh, of really recognizing who God is, that we go from this place of pride and God humbles us, humiliates us, so that hopefully there is this restoration that that we can move to praise of who God is. And we see throughout the book of Daniel that King Nebuchadnezzar was acknowledging God. He's like, okay, God's kind of cool, but he never humbled himself before God until God had to humble him. He forced humiliation on him. And from that, King Nebuchadnezzar was able to see and recognize the one true God. And really today, we're going we're gonna to see through this story, through another king uh, that, that comes on the scene, that we are going to see that we are going to, that even if we choose to ignore God, he is still God. We're going to see that even if we choose to ignore God, he is still God, regardless of the situation 
that he is at work. He is the one who is worthy of all of our praise, all of our attention, because the reality is he's the one writing the story. He is the one that is working in every situation that you find yourself in, good or difficult. The highs and the lows, God himself is in those moments and in those stories and in those situations so that you can say even if. So that you can stand and live in your even if. And I love that. So we're going to take just a quick look at Daniel chapter 5. I'm going to give you just a brief overview, and then we're going to kind of zoom in on a couple passages in particular um, about this uh, story to help us really um, allow and ask God to truly humble us in this moment. We're going to see a very different response from last week's King Nebuchadnezzar to the King Belshazzar this week. So here's what's happening in the story in Daniel chapter 5. We pick up, it's a couple decades later, King Nebuchadnezzar um, has passed, he is no longer uh, in charge, and now we have a new king, and really we actually have two kings. This is a co, uh, co-kingship, a co-regent as, as some of the commentators call it. Uh, this man, Belshazzar, is on the scene, and so he's a couple generations removed uh, from King Nebuchadnezzar, and he decides to throw a party and he says, you know what? I'm the king. I'm in charge. Let's throw a party. And he invites a thousand of his nobles and all these people to come and celebrate with him. And as he's there, he does something unique. And we'll dive into this passage in a second. He actually calls for the things that King Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple of Jerusalem as they took over uh, Jerusalem and they brought them to Babylon. Belshazzar wants to promote himself, wants to elevate himself, and so he brings in and calls out, let me drink from the the vessels, from the cups, and uh, the things that were in the temple used for the things of God, and he uses them in the party. Fast forward a little bit, God is not real happy with this, and we get this phrase that we even hear and we still use today, there's the writing is on the wall. God supernaturally shows up in the middle of this party as Belshazzar has uh, chosen to promote self instead of humbly submit to God. We see God shows up and he writes on the wall this inscription that baffled the king, scared the king, and no one could understand what its meaning was. And then what's going to happen is Daniel is brought back before the king. He was kind of forgotten and pushed to the side as Nebuchadnezzar passed. And as years and seasons went on, Daniel's forgotten. But the very same Daniel who was in Daniel 1, faithful in his even if, and is brought to prominence because he interprets the dreams for Nebuchadnezzar, is the same Daniel who shows up again here in this passage. And then as Daniel interprets the dream We get to this place where Nebuchadnezzar was humiliated, yet he recognized and returned and trusted the one true king, the one true God, Belshazzar. Uh, Story ends a little differently, and we'll get there. But I just want to kind of give you a a brief summary, kind of what's happening in the passage. And then the the, the kingship will change once again, and we'll see Daniel stand in the even if next week as we look at Daniel 6 and the story that maybe you've heard as a kid, Daniel and the lion's den, so don't miss next week. But what we see, grab your Bibles, Daniel chapter 5, verse 1. We're going to zoom in real quick on the first, first few verses. Daniel chapter 5, verse 1 begins this way. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. 
Belshazzar, when he had tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, his predecessor, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought that the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple of the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine, and then they praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, and wood. So in these first few verses, sets kind of the himself, Belshazzar sets himself against the one true God. Because what he does in this moment is he elevates himself in the story in front of thousands of people. What he's doing is he is making much of himself. He is building up his name because what is happening in this passage is not only is he this king that could just throw a feast if he wanted to, but in that moment he chooses to name drop. Anybody, you know those name dropping friends you have? You guys are nicer than the first service, man. They were like, yeah, we know those people. And they're like looking at each other across the aisle. Uh, No, he starts to name drop because what he's doing, this co-king is trying to legitimize who he is as a person. And he begins to tell a story and he says, oh, you know what? Go get the vessels of gold and silver that my father, my predecessor, this great king Nebuchadnezzar, and he's name dropping Nebuchadnezzar in the Acts in order to essentially tie his leadership to this great king who'd gone before. So he's name-dropping, and he's trying to show off his power, right? He's trying to exaggerate and make himself look a little better than he is, that he's a co-captain on this team in Babylon. And what he does is he takes the things of God, and he misuses them. He takes them for himself, and he says, you know what? I want my name known. I want my name great. And so he tells a story and he creates a moment where people see who he is versus seeing who God is. King Belshazzar has already forgotten all that God has done in the past in his predecessor's life, in King Nebuchadnezzar's life. That humiliation and that restoration And he forgets it. And I wonder for many of us in this room, we're probably similar. Because the things of God can be misused by us even here and now. In fact, 1 Corinthians 3 talks about it this way. If you want to, you can flip there. If not, it's not on the screen, but you can. But 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Do you not know that you are God's temple and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? When we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, we are redeemed and restored and we become the dwelling place of God. Because guess what? We gather right now to worship the one true God and guess where we are not? Jerusalem, which is probably warmer, which would be nicer, but we're not there, right? We are not in Jerusalem. We are here in West Michigan. Why is that? We don't have to take a pilgrimage to go meet with God because he lives and dwells in his people. He is here with us. The one true God, when we believe and trust, gives us his spirit to indwell, to lead, to guide, and to take care of us. But yet so often, you and I, 
and probably me, the worst offender of all, misuse the very breath in our lungs and the life that God has given us as the temple of God. In the same way Belshazzar does that same thing. He misuses the things of God. And what happens is this, and a question I want to ask us if you're taking notes is this. Are you giving your family and friends something that isn't godly? Belshazzar takes the things of God, misuses them, and then gives those to the people around him in this party. In promoting himself and building himself up, he goes on to say and share things that are not of God instead of directing and pointing people to who God is and what God's doing and the love and the hope and the redemption in that. He's saying, guys, it's about us. He's essentially distracting and blocking the way for thousands of people to meet and encounter God because he has chosen to misuse the things of God. And so this morning, are you giving your family and friends, your coworkers, the people that we're asking you to invite to be a part of the services as we get ready to move into the new space on the 14th and to celebrate the risen King Jesus on Easter? Are you going to use what God has given you, the very temple of God, the breath in your lungs, the hands and the feet that you have, to point people to him? Or are you going to take those things that God has entrusted you, that he is asking you to steward well, and misuse them. Isn't it just crazy for a hot second? Like, can we just like process that for a minute? That the God of the universe would invite us into the story to be billboards and signposts to everyone around us that he is real and that he is true. Feel a little bit of weight on that and then excitement and fear all at the same time because I know me. I know me well enough to know I'm probably going to mess it up. It's like those cartoon signs, you know, like, like Wile E. Coyote and those old cartoons. Anybody like tracking with me? All the young people are like, we don't know what you're talking about. It's not on Netflix, I don't think. Um, but what, they would have the signs, you know, pointing, and then like some character would come around and spin the sign, and it would point in a different direction, and like that was, you know, like the whole big joke in the cartoon. Anybody tracking with me? Okay, all right, just making sure I wasn't like alone and the only weird guy in the room. Um, but that's kind of what happens in our lives. God, we are these signposts that are pointing to the one true God. And yet we allow ourselves to be misused and we spin the signs and we turn it around. Are you giving your family and friends something that isn't godly? Are you pointing them in a direction that is towards self, protection, safety, comfort? Are you inviting people to stand in the even if? Are you inviting people to be bold in their faith, to take a risk? Because what we know is whenever we build up self, the process is pride brings humiliation in hopes that praise of the one true God is to follow. So let's move on a little bit in the story. So what happens, they continue to throw this party and then God supernaturally shows up and his hand is seen and he begins to write on the wall in this party. And the scriptures tell us that King Belshazzar's color changes. And when you, you dive into the words a little bit there and you get in the Greek and all that jazz and the Hebrew and the Aramaic and you break it all down, is that essentially what it's saying, he is scared out of his mind. His knees begin to shake. His joints and his bones are weak and his color changes because he's just seen God show up in his life. But in doing that, he still holds himself up in authority. 
he goes on to call all the people, the fortune tellers and the mystics and whoever wise counsel he could grab to say, tell me what this writing on the wall is. Help me understand it because I am scared and I am afraid. And what happens in that moment is he's still trying to assert himself. And he goes on to say, if someone can interpret this, I will give them rewards. I will give them, uh, they'll become the third highest in the kingdom. Some think that means that literally they are the top dog because he's a co-regent, a co-leader with this. That means the next person is the next in charge. That whoever can figure this out, he will raise up in position as he has authority to. In that moment, Belshazzar is still putting himself above God. That this is something that he has some sort of control over, God showing up in this story. And what happens is we move down to verse 17. The story goes, Daniel was forgotten. But in this story, someone who was not at the party, some believe Nebuchadnezzar's wife, some believe it is like a, a granddaughter of, the, of Nebuchadnezzar, um, but this woman who's not at the party shows up and says, there was a man, and his name was Daniel. And I want us to understand something as we prepare to look at this. Daniel is the same Daniel from chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. He has the ability to stand in the even if he is forgotten. He has the ability to stand in the even if, if his friends are going to be thrown into a fire because of their beliefs. He is the Daniel who stands in the even if when people persecute him and are trying to get him caught in some sort of snare and trap in order that he may be demoted or, or pushed away because they are insecure in who they are. He is the same Daniel that can stand in the even ifs because here is what he has. He has this eternal perspective if you're taking notes. The eternal perspective empowers us to live in the even if, every day. Daniel's eternal perspective allows him and it empowers him to live in the even if every day because of who God is, because of the God he puts his trust in, because of the God he puts all of his faith in. He says, I will stand, I'll be faithful, I'll do, do what you ask and what you present in front of me, God. So then we get his response which I just think is brilliant. It flies in the face of culture etiquette. It almost in a way can come off disrespectful to the king because the king is offering him this high position and a purple robe, this garment that's expensive and shows royalty and a golden necklace that shows power and prestige. Daniel in a way says, I don't care about that stuff. I can stand in the even if I have much or I have nothing. And he goes on to say in verse 17, then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. He says, even if you want to give me that stuff, it doesn't matter. Because I have an eternal perspective and in fact, I've seen this story before. Same song, different verse. I've seen this played out with your predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar. I don't need your stuff. This eternal perspective empowers Daniel to be consistent and faithful regardless of the situation. 
And what I love about this story is we have this story about King Belshazzar, but yet zooms in on these couple of verses on Daniel, on his resolve, on who he is as a follower and a believer of God. He says, even if, it doesn't matter, I'll be faithful. But yet what, what's about to happen, Belshazzar, is a humbling. A humiliation is coming. And so I want us to see that, though, that you and I, we can walk in the even if when our perspective is on the things that matter, the things that are eternal, the things of God. We can because he is faithful and the Holy Spirit who dwells in us empowers us to do that. So as we walk through this passage, he goes on to uh, tell the story of King Nebuchadnezzar again. And he tells him he's going to interpret what's on the wall. But what I want us to see, let's move down to verse 21, is that embarrassment is not the same as humility. Embarrassment is not the same as humility if you're taking notes. But in verse 21, it picks up and it says this. And he was driven, talking about King Nebuchadnezzar, was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven. And I want you to underline in your Bible, I don't care if it's a church Bible or your own Bible, or device, highlight it, circle it, doodle around it. I want you to circle this word, until. Until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. There's a big difference between an embarrassment and a humility. Embarrassment is really this. I've done something. I've said something. I've acted in a behavior, and all I want to do is sweep it under the rug so that no one knows, no one sees it, and it's just gone and removed. That is an embarrassment. I hope no one finds out because I just did something foolish. I just did something that was silly. Humility is this recognition that I've put my hope and my trust in something that is not going to last. That I've put my hope in myself and I am humiliated. I am humbled. I am in the wrong spot, and I need help to change that spot. We saw that last week in King Nebuchadnezzar, and we heard it here that he was essentially made mad. He was humiliated, and this king, who was now a raving lunatic, was kind of hidden away, and the only people that knew about it were the royal family. And he says, Belshazzar, you knew it. You knew the story. You knew what happened to your predecessor. You know the stories, yet you were unwilling to listen and to learn. Just side note, information does not mean transformation. Just because you can Google it doesn't mean it is wise. You have to walk it in community and experience. Information does not mean that there's transformation taking place because wisdom is a life that takes in the information and learns to process it so that we are the men and women that God has called us to be. 
But what we see in this passage is, is that Belshazzar was not humbled. He was not humbled because here's the crazy thing about this whole story that just blew my mind as I was studying this and reading some of the histories around it. You know what's happening around this party? The Persian army is outside the city walls. The enemy is at the gate knocking on the door. And King Belshazzar says, you know what? It doesn't matter. My walls are so big and they are so strong. My defenses are secure. And what they tell us is they had 20 years of stockpile of resources, of food and things that they would need inside the city. King Belshazzar says, it doesn't matter what's on the outside. We're totally fine on the inside. We are good because we trust ourselves. We trust in the security that we've built. We trust in the comfort that we've done. And almost in this brazen, bold, proud way, he kind of sticks his hand in the sky and says, it doesn't matter who's out there. I'm in charge. I'm the king. So bring me the vessels of the temple of God and I will misuse them. And I will give people around me things that are ungodly because he is not truly humble before God, though he knows the story of his family. Though he knows and has heard the stories of who God is and how God operates. He throws a party for a thousand people in the midst of a war. Oblivious in all reality to the troubles around him. Unwilling to do that which is required for him to stand in the midst of difficulty. And I think often you and I can find ourselves in those, in those same situations. That we don't take into account truly the, the things that are going in around us and the, and the struggles. And we pretend and we hide or we rest in our comforts or we rest on uh, the praises of the people around us. When, we're, when we haven't done the internal work to properly prepare ourselves for that which God has for us. We haven't humbled ourselves before the one true God. And that, my friends, I encourage us by the power of the Holy Spirit in this moment that he would awaken us. He would stir something in us. Because here's the thing. King Nebuchadnezzar had to learn it the hard way, yet there's a restoration. And what we're about to see is Belshazzar learns the hard way as well. And I don't think it has to be as hard for us to be humbled before God. Because Jesus has walked before us. He has taken our sin. He has walked the journey for us. And all we have to do is fall in line and walk with him and trust in him and put faith in him. But Belshazzar was unwilling to do so. So here's what happens. Here's this big idea for us. And I truly believe this. And I hope you don't have to learn it the hard way, but if you're taking notes, the reality is this. Eventually, Everyone experiences humility before God. Eventually, everyone will experience humility before God. I pray and I hope you don't have to learn the hard way. I pray and hope you don't have to learn the hard way. Because we can bow now. That very night, as the party happened, the Persian army they divert a river that ran through the city. And as the water moves away 
I'm flowing through the city. There appears a gap in the wall. And through that, the Persian army walks into the city and takes the life of Belshazzar. And we see this in Daniel chapter 5, verse 29, if you want to read with me. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple chain, and gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom, which doesn't really matter much because the kingdom just changes. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. That very night, King Belshazzar is humiliated. The kingdom is removed from him. It is given to another, not just another in their their city or their culture. A completely different culture comes in and changes everything because of his unwillingness to humble himself before God. And so here, as you hear this story, and it sounds like a distant fairy tale in some ways, I want to kind of bring it home for us. I want us to consider the people in our lives. And one of the things that um, really kind of breaks my heart and, and causes me to just go Ugh, inside is that so many of our friends and our family here at Chapel Point wrote on that wall, even if my child doesn't believe, even if my loved one chooses not to follow, even if they don't trust God, I will remain faithful regardless of the situation. So one, thank you for being bold to, to write that out and to call that out for hundreds of people to see and to pray for it. But know this, you're not alone in that. But I just have some encouragement for us as family, especially as parents. And in a way, it's encouragement you're probably not going to want to hear. But here's the reality that we see from the story from King Nebuchadnezzar is that you can't give your faith away. You cannot make your son, your daughter, your brother, your sister, fill in the blank with whoever you love and care deeply for. You cannot make them believe. You cannot make them trust. You cannot make them fall in love with God and pursue him with all that they are as much as we want. As much as we care deeply for those people, we cannot do it. And I am sorry to have to say that. But it's the reality. King Nebuchadnezzar, though he walked through this process of pride, humiliation, and praise to God Almighty, this recognition, what happened was Belshazzar didn't pick up the mantle. He didn't pick up the message that had been walking through their family story. And so I say that to really say this as a way of encouragement for us, for the people that you love and care for and follow, is we have to pick up our own faith. Students, kids, anyone in this room and the people that you care deeply for, they have to pick up their faith and make it their own. As much as I want Madeline to trust and follow after Jesus, praise God, she loves Jesus. She was baptized like a year ago, whoop, whoop, um, in which we have baptisms happening on Easter, and there was a class you just missed if you were in this service. But if you want to talk about that, come talk to us, all right? Just random information there for you. I know, sorry. As much as I want Madeline to fall in love with Jesus and pursue him, and I praise God that he is at work in her, I could never make her do that. I can't do that for Noah or Wyatt. 
But what I can do is I can set the table for them. I can set the table with the things of God. I can let the temple that is my body be fully present and prepare a feast for them to taste and to see that the Lord is good. But I can't make them eat it. I can't help, I can't make them trust him. So I ask the question, how are we setting the table? How are we using the things that God has given us appropriately to give our friends and our family and our loved ones something that is godly? And for many of you in this room, you are doing that very thing. Praise God. Keep doing it. Set the table tomorrow and on Tuesday and on Wednesday. And every time you sit down for dinner, that you just think we just got to get food and we got to go to the next thing. It is a holy, sacred moment for you to pray for your people, to set the table before them and say, God is good. And he is worthy. Can't give your faith away. And we have to pick up our own faith. But here's the reality. The writing on the wall said something to Belshazzar. Your days have been numbered. You've been found wanting. And your kingdom is going to be divided. And you want to know how we pick up our own faith? How your loved ones pick up their own faith is by hearing and seeing the gospel of what God has done. Because the reality is this, my friends. You and I are found wanting. Our days have been numbered. We have only so many breaths in these lungs. And we've been found wanting because of the sin that we are born with. Opposition, rebellion to God. But hear this. God himself in love chose to send his one and only son. That whoever believes will not perish, but will have everlasting life because we have been found wanting and in need, God steps in and says, I will fill that need because we have been found wanting and in need. God says, I will meet every cry and every tear and every pain you have ever experienced. I will take that on myself. I will bear the burden. I will carry your pain so that you don't have to. Because I love you. You and I have been found wanting, and yet he says, I want you. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need our praise. But yet he brings us in as loved ones, as family, as brothers and sisters. And Jesus himself sets the table and says, my body is the bread. My blood is the wine. Taste and drink and be filled and be made whole and be redeemed. Is this not good news? That we don't have to learn the hard way. We don't have to learn the hard way because Jesus walked the hard road for us. Isn't that good? 
we don't have to walk that road. Because Jesus, in love and in strength and in boldness, walked that road for us. And so here's what I want us to do. As, as the band comes out, Belshazzar failed to recognize the one true God. And we don't have to this morning. Belshazzar chose to ignore the writing on the wall. We don't have to this morning. Belshazzar chose not to listen and walk in the wisdom of the people who have gone before him. This morning, we don't have to. We get to walk in boldness and in strength and in humility. And so this morning, I invite you to humble yourself before the living God. I invite you this morning to pick up your own faith. I invite you this morning to live and stand in your even if. I invite you to live in your story of transformation humbly before God. The scripture tells us God opposes the proud. He stands in opposition against and will not allow it. But he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. And so for us this morning, as we respond in song and as we respond uh, in worship to who he is, um, a reorienting of our minds, being transformed by the renewing of it, that we would see him that we would be recalibrated and aligned and our eyes fixed on him. I invite you to humble yourselves before God. And for many of you in this room, it may mean you need to physically humble yourself. It may look like you need to take a knee to the one true king. Because the reality is, this is the posture of King Jesus. Humbled servant who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising its shame too often we live in our cultural words it says we are Americans and we'll pull ourselves up by our bootstraps but this my friends is the position of a follower of Jesus this is boldness. This is courage. To say it's not about me. I will humble myself for the one true God. And heart, and mind, and strength in all that I am. So I invite you to respond this morning. And if you need to, take a knee. He is worthy of it. He is king. Give him the respect and the honor that he is due. For maybe you at your heart, humble yourself before the Lord, God Almighty, this morning. God, you're worthy. Father, I pray you move in this time as we respond to your word, 
Holy Spirit, fill us, lead us, guide us. We are not our own. In that moment that we think we are, God, humble us. May we see Jesus, the author and perfect of our faith this morning, and we follow after him. We pray this in the mighty and the wonderful name of Jesus, our King. And everyone said, amen, stand and continue to worship and respond to him. Philippians 2, verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours. It is yours today, now, when you trust and you believe and you humble yourself. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, humbled himself by taking on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is what it looks like to stand and to live in the even if, to declare to humble yourself, to bow your knee to the one true king who is King Jesus yesterday, today, and forevermore. And you get to live in that now, today as you leave this place. And so grab some Easter invite cards and you better bring everybody, everybody, because it's going to be in a bigger building. All right? There's a lot more space, but I think you guys will pack it out because King Jesus is worth it. May you bow before him today with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength. Because he's worth it. May you go in his peace. We love you guys. We're here for you. Have an amazing spring break-ish. Second winter break. That's right, sister. Second winter break. Y'all enjoy. Love you guys. We'll see y'all later.